1: I certainly don't believe in loosening my standards with regard to the quality of the companies that I buy. And I, I would never, I would suggest not doing that. Where I would suggest being, I'll put it this way, more flexible is with uh, things like price limits and so on. I mean, for, for five years, you know, my mantra has always been put a limit and be disciplined, don't chase stocks, etc., etc., etc. et cetera. I think in this, I think in this kind of market, you need to be a little more flexible at at paying up for some of these stocks. The risk in a bull market is tilted towards missing out rather than overpaying.
0: Welcome back to Mining Stock Education, and thank you for tuning in again. I'm Bill Powers, your host. We're gonna be speaking today with Adrian Day of adriandayassetmanagement.com. Adrian is a frequent guest on this podcast, and I thank him for his time. He has many decades of experience navigating the precious metals and mining sector as an advisor fund manager and uh, investor himself in this sector. So also the first book I read on mining investing was Adrian's book that he put out, I believe, about a decade ago. So with that introduction, Adrian, welcome back to the program. I appreciate you joining me. And I'd like for you to start by giving us your commentary regarding the proposed merger between Evram Resources and Renaissance Gold, where they're looking to combine to form a new royalty prospect generator company. I know that you follow Evram Resources. What's your take on what's uh, being proposed here?
1: Good morning, um, Bill. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on the show. I always enjoy your podcast. Well, I... uh,
0: let's step back a second,
1: if we may. As you as you know, as an SEC advisor, I have to be very careful talking about stocks that we own with regards to the performance of those stocks. So um, I I think what we can draw from the evrem and Renaissance uh, proposed merger, we can draw various lessons that would apply to a lot of companies. So and then we'll talk about evrem a little bit if we if we may. I think in in the and, and again, stepping back, if I if I may, um, in the gold mining industry, there are several major problems that are known at are wrecked, that everybody understands. One of them, of course, is the difficulty of finding new ounces. So that primarily applies to the major miners, and that's why we've seen the merger positions among the bigger miners. And then the other the other I think one of the biggest problems in the sector that affects the smaller companies is, frankly, there are just far too many small companies. And the problem with that, uh, there's lots of problems. One is there just aren't that many good managers. Now, both and renaissance have very solid managers. So that's not an issue. Both of them are good, solid people who've done a good, solid uh, managers who've done good things over the years. But But one thing is, There's just about many good managers, let's be honest. But the other big problem is when you've got a company that's trading at a 10 million market cap or a 20 million market cap, your G&A, a lot of your G&A, your costs of listing, your costs of compliance, um, all of that is not much different from if you were 100 million. And so the problem is that smaller companies tend to spend very high percentage of their I'll call it revenue. A very large percentage of their annual budget goes into G&A and not into the ground. And so the concept that a lot of people have been talking about for many years, actually, and when I say a lot of people, some of the companies, but also some advisors, some brokers, you know, have been pushing this. Some of these smaller companies need to get together and. Um, when there's a fit, obviously, they need to get together in order to reduce uh, um, their, their G&A, which is essentially, um, I mean, some of it's essential, some of the compliance isn't in my view, but some of it's essential, but it's not really advancing, advancing the uh, any of your projects or advancing um, the goals of the company. So in the case of Abram and Renaissance again, both very very good companies with um, good managements, but complementary. So you've got Evron, which has very strong, and Evron's CEO is going to remain CEO, and the um, uh, chairman of the board is going to remain the chairman of the board. Two very dynamic, ambitious, in a good sense, people. On the on the Renaissance side, you have um, uh, you know a, a few older people that are, are sort of stepping back. But you've also got a quite deep um, exploration team with very, very keen, with very deep knowledge of, of Nevada. And so you bring together two companies, Evram which is, is primarily in the Western Canada and in Western Mexico, and um, uh, Renaissance, which is primarily in uh, Nevada, and that's all on the same, all on the same um, mountain range, all on the same big trend. And so you're, you, you've got complementary skill sets, which is important in a merger because we've seen too many mergers where there's no, there's no synergy at all. They are going, they each have a G&A of about one to one point two million a year. And they are going to be able to cut eight hundred thousand a That's a significant saving just by bringing two companies together. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm giving you some of the background on an industry basis, but you can see from some of my comments that I, I think this merge is going to be uh, potentially very, very good for the company. You know, when you're looking for royalties, whether you're generating your own projects and trying to turn those into royalties, which both every Ross have done so far. But you're also going out looking for other projects or royalties that you can acquire. The truth is being somewhat larger, having a lower cost of capital definitely helps you. Definitely helps you. When you're a 10 or 15 million market cap company, your flexibility is very, very limited in terms of, of acquisitions. When you're 30 to 40 million, um, you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, well, it's twice as good, actually. So I don't know. If, I don't know if that helps at all. And Abram combined, I mean, you know, in this new market, it'll be it'll be more like a you know, an 80 cap company. So you know, that's a real substance there now.
0: When these companies combined, Adrian, as you know, one of the Things that stands in the way is often the executive of one of the companies giving up, or several executives giving up their salaries. So, were there change of control fees at play here that kind of incentivized the two companies to merge?
1: No, um, you're, you're absolutely right. That is that is an issue. Um, I know of I, w- I won't talk about them, but I know of several proposed mergers that would have been good, but fell apart because you know the one side, the one side being taken over um insisted on outrageous uh, fees and often frankly fees that had only just been put in place after the merge discussions began. It's outrageous, it's egregious. And so I frankly I, I frankly tip my hat to the Renaissance people um for putting ego aside. Because, you know, as I say, the CEO is now going to be the CEO of Everim. So the CEO now becomes the vice president of exploration or something. Um, no, it's uh, vice president. Sorry. But um, so I, I really tip my hat to these people. One of the things that um, did help, as I mentioned, was some of the key players that, at um, Renaissance have been stepping back a little bit. You know, they've been in the business a long time. Um, As far as I know, there are no change control fees, but I certainly know there are no egregious change control fees. I know that. And I'm sure that people who are being laid off, by the way, are going to get severance, obviously. But, but not the sort of thing you are talking about,
0: yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Adrian, my next question has to do with how you assess management and management teams. If you're looking at a potential mining investment and, and as part of your due diligence, you're looking into the executives and you see that they're involved in several companies, and I'm talking about seven, eight, or more, even more than that. I know of people, uh, leaders that are involved in more than 10 companies at a time, and maybe they're involved in a, sub, a couple boards But they actually have an executive role on more than one mining company. Uh, Is that a turnoff to you? And, you know, when, how are are you concerned about a diversion of their time? And are they going to really be able to focus and devote their time to the company that you're thinking about investing in?
1: I I think you've answered your question. Okay. Everything's to be said. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you've got an executive, with very, very, very rare exceptions, you want that executive to be dedicated 100% of to it to, to one company. And particularly for these small entrepreneurial type companies. You, you want someone who works not 100%, but someone who works 150 percent of the time for that company. Now, sometimes these companies will hire advisors, like, uh, well, everyone mentioned, you know, has, has uh, 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 someone who's a geologic advisor to the company and maybe works, you know, half time or something for that company. That's okay if that person has also advises other companies and and obviously you you have to put into place you know uh conflict of interest procedures you know if he finds something where does it go um but that's okay and it's certainly in my view it's certainly okay if people sit on more than one board i don't agree with these people who say you sit on uh, a lot of uh, the new um, you know the new uh sort of uh, compliance industry sort of guidelines, suggestions, sit on more than three boards. I don't agree with that at all. When you're on a board, you bring your independent advice and experience, and without betraying the secrets that you learn on board, being intimately involved with more than one company can give you a much better and broader perspective on, on the whole industry. So I'm not against people being on more than one board. Um, so long as they do the work. And I think that's the problem. There are too many professional board members. Um, but I, 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 when it comes to an executive, no, you want the executive focused 100% on your company.
0: Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized has no debt and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York, in Toronto, under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to trilogy metals.com. That's trilogymetals.com. We've been seeing a trend in the mining sector in the gold sphere of Chinese state-backed or owned companies trying to scoop up a lot of these Western gold mines. What's your thoughts on this trend?
1: Well, obviously, you know, China needs more gold. And, you know, they're not producing it internally from their own um, gold mines. And um, China, of course, Chinese companies have been doing this not just in the gold mining business, but in base metals and and other metals as well. They've been, as it were, to use your word, scooping up um, Western companies. In the gold space, I frankly think they've been overpaying. Well, not even overpaying. They've been picking up some pretty marginal assets without naming names. But I think, you know, it's pretty obvious some of the the assets I'm referring to. They've been picking up some pretty marginal assets in in the recent past um, and overpaying for them. So that's not necessarily a bad thing for us investors. Um, but I think I think generally, I mean, what they what they're obviously doing is is just trying to you know trying to diversify outside of China and build global companies. And you know, some of these companies have swooped in on some pretty key assets, like Zijin bought Nevson, um, uh, you know, which bought um, the the Temec property from Reservoir. You know, that's a pretty key asset, and assets like that don't come along very often. So, you know, by coming in, buying the refinery, the bore refinery, committing to put money into into modernizing the refinery, and buying um, the Timic, they were, um, you know, they had a good deal there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, and, and you see a lot of these companies will buy stakes, 9.9% stakes in companies to get their feet in the door. I definitely think we're going to see more of that. But really, that's just a part of the the bigger trend that I mentioned at the beginning, which is that major, major global mining companies are not finding the ounces or the pounds in the case of copper. They're not finding the ounces they need to replace their production. And so all of the companies are getting involved in M&A. I think the Chinese are just being a little more aggressive
0: about it. There's been a, a couple conversations I've been a part of in the last couple weeks. And what was said was that the person was observing what's going on in the sector and potential M&A, that, like what you referenced. And they said they believe a lot of these near-term producers, these development stories that should be producing within a year or maybe a new producer that just started producing within the last year, this person expects a lot of these to be uh, bought out in the near future. Would you agree with that perspective?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Um, uh, And and two, two additional comments on that, if I may. Yeah, obviously, not obviously, sorry. For most major companies, they will prefer to pay out for a property that has already gone through the expiration, gone through the permitting got the social license from the local people dealt with all that kind of stuff and they would they would prefer to pay up for it so looking essentially at something that's in advanced development or started producing um rather than try to try to get in earlier on something that they think might have good potential and there's obvious reasons for that you know if you're Whatever Ajax exploration in the middle of Mexico, and you have good relationships with the local people, maybe you don't want Newmont or Barrick swooping in, and then you know people saying, "Oh well, maybe with the big mining company we can we can you know i can sell my I can sell my land for a little bit more because this is a big company so i I mean there's obviously good reasons for that but um so i I think the the advanced development and and um, uh, uh, young producer, the producer that's just been around six, 12 months, that's the ideal time for some of these companies to be taken up. But, 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 but sort of, caveat, if I may, is that obviously, if you're a single mine company, whether you're a producer or development, if you're a single mine company, uh, as an investor, we need to be pretty sure that we've got a really solid project, because not every project is going to be acquired by a senior, of course. So if you've got a company with three or four mines, um, you know your odds of one of those being taken out at a good premium, ha- or the whole company, because of, because a major wants one or two of the mines, is obviously a lot higher than if you're a single mine producer. Um, and you might get, as it were, left on the shelf. So if you're looking at the single mines, you need to do a lot more due diligence. Single mine companies, a lot more due diligence, in my view.
0: Adrian, you have a very well-thought-out approach to mining investing, and as I referenced in the introduction, you actually wrote a book on investing in the resource sector. But even with the approach that you've developed over the decades— when you see gold in a bull market like it is now and the prospects for gold rising higher seem pretty good would you be willing to loosen your standards of what you you know the qualities you'd want to see <laughs> you know because you know a lot of these gold stocks are going to go up whether they're meet all your uh, qualifications or not
1: yeah well I'm not going to use the term loosen my standards but the answer is yes um, <laughs> and I think I think on t- two poles I would One thing I have definitely learned over the years, much to my chagrin, is you don't want to loosen your standards on the quality of the company. And you're absolutely right. You know, um, when the wind blows, even the turkeys fly, uh, as the expression goes. But but remember, markets are volatile, and bull markets do sometimes come to an end. And if you are left holding the, the cats and the dogs or the pigs, you're going to see those decline a lot, lot further than if you're holding high quality companies. So I certainly don't believe in loosening my standards with regard to the quality of the companies that I buy. And I, I would never I would suggest not doing that. Where I would suggest being, I'll put it this way, more flexible is with uh, things like price limits and so on. I mean for for 5 years, you know, my mantra has always been put a limit in, be disciplined, don't chase stocks etc etc etc. I think in this I think in this kind of market you need to be a little more flexible at at paying up for some of these stocks because let's face it, I mean I'll just pull one up almost almost at random, but not at, well, we were talking about Evram, So let's just look at Evram although it's not, I mean, these juniors always have particular things that make stocks go up and down. But I mean, you know, Evram is now at 47 cents. It's been as high as $1.60. Um, that was, of course, on a particular a particular um, uh, would-be discovery, shall we say. But let's, let's look at something else. Um, well, let's just look at a big one. Let's look at um, Barrick. You know, Barrick is now at 27, 28, whatever, 26 and a half. Um, It's been as high as, where were we? Um, It's been as high as, um, come on, it's been as high as 55, 53 back in 2010. So the point I'm, sorry, the point I'm making is that you don't want to be too, you don't want to be too picky about saying I'm paying 26.55 and not a penny more. Because if it goes back to where it was just in 2010, and it is a far, far, far superior company today than it was back in 2010, it goes back to where it was in 2010. You've got to double. And I guess what I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm I'm rambling, the risk in a bull market, it is tilted towards missing out rather than overpaying.
0: That's excellent advice. And since the gold equities like Barrick is up, I believe, about 70% since the mid-March low, have you employed any hedging strategy, strategies in the money you're managing uh, with your gold equities recently?
1: No, not with the gold. I mean, we do hedge in the broad market, in the global accounts we have. Um, we do hedge those accounts in various ways, but in the, in the gold sector... I don't really believe in hedging. Um, I think the way you protect yourself is to, well, first of all, to buy quality, secondly, to take profits, and thirdly, I don't believe in stock losses, but we do on some of our stocks employ stops that I call protect profits rather than stop losses. Um, because the worst thing is to have a good profit and see it turn into a loss. So the way the way I do things is we will have core positions and these will be both in companies, you know, like Franco and Barrick and so on. We have core companies, but we also have a core position in these stocks. And then we will trade around that core position. And we will also buy, in addition, um, you know, different companies that might be shorter term trades. And with the uh, with the add-on positions to our core positions and with the what I'll call the secondary companies that we buy, you know, we will try to trade those a little bit to put some money in the accounts and, and hopefully not be stuck with them. Um, so that's not really hedging but you know i don't believe in hedging gold frankly because you you, you know uh I mean, if you were to if you were to short the gold index, gold itself, or the gold stock index against the stocks you own, that would be a. I mean, that would that would really eliminate most of the gains that you get. So I, I don't see the point, frankly.
0: Do a lot of these major gold miners, uh, the Barracks and so forth, are they hedging at all in their portfolio, or did they take all the hedges no. off?
1: No, the, the vast the vast majority. Well, Barrick took all of those off. Um, uh, at the top, we might say. But the vast majority of hedging you see today is is very limited on its hedging, you know, the first two years of production on a new mine. And that's, that to me is different. It's not hedging as a bet on the direction of gold price. A lot of the gold mining companies, so very, very few gold mining companies today, very, very few, will have hedges and even fewer will have directional hedges, hedges that are just betting on the price of gold or locking in the price of gold or whatever. So um, you do get some hedging on currencies. You do get some hedging on oil. And I, to me, as an investor in the gold space, someone who hedges their costs, that's, that's to me legitimate. Um, now, you can do it correctly or incorrectly. You can be right or wrong. But trying to lock in your costs so that you know what they're going to be for the next two or three years, or at least you know they're not going to go higher than X or Y over the next few years, that's a legitimate use of hedging, I think. I just don't like to see companies hedge hedge their output, hedge their gold.
0: That's a great point. And I was talking to a friend recently, and he was saying some of the best oil traders are the people that buy the airline fuel for Southwest Airlines.
1: Yeah, that could well be. Yeah, absolutely. And the other the other form of, if you like, hedging that you do see companies do is is um, selling selling forward or putting a stream or whatever on their byproduct. And that, again, is 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 legitimate. So if you're a gold company and you have some copper byproduct, by all means hedge your copper because that helps protect what is the core business for gold.
0: Adrian, as we bring this conversation to a close, can you share with us any uh, feedback you're getting from your clients or an- anecdotal stories you think that have pertinence for the <laughs> broader investor audience listening to us?
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, I, I I think the, the possibility of a near-term correction is perhaps increasing. And the anecdotal evidence would be, you know, when I get clients calling and emailing saying, hey, I opened an account on Tuesday, you've still got 5% of it in cash, what's gone wrong? Um, but, and I'm exaggerating, of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a warning sign that people are maybe getting just a little bit too, um, you know, too, too, too anxious. You know, I've given you a hundred, I'm adding a hundred on Friday, but can you, can you buy, buy now on margin? Well, no, let's just wait till Friday. It's not going to be the end of the world. So I think people are getting just a little bit too enthusiastic. But frankly, this is a very, that's just a very, very short-term comment. I'm, as you know, I mean, just to close maybe, I'm very, very bullish on the price of gold because, frankly, and I hate to say this, I'm bearish on so much else happening around the world. In America, and you know, but let's just say specifically what the Federal Reserve is doing. All of that's going to be very, very positive for gold over the long. So I'm I'm incredibly bullish um, on on the long term.
0: Adrian's website is adriandayassetmanagement.com. Adrian, in addition to being a money manager, also writes a newsletter, so you can find more information about Adrian's services again at adrianday assetmanagement.com as always Adrian thanks for coming on today's show and sharing your insights
1: well thank you so much for having
0: me thank you